Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Goliath wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 6 through 10, New Living Translation. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 12-15, through 15, New Living Translation. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Anchored by Truth. Today, we are continuing to talk about one of the best-known stories from the Bible, the classic fight between David and Goliath. With us in the studio is the founder of Crystal Sea Books and author, R.D. Fierro. What's on tap today, R.D.? Well, today we want to spend a little more time discussing the historical background for the David and Goliath story. As our listeners may recall, we've mentioned many times on Anchored by Truth that it's important for those of us who trust the Bible as the Word of God to be able to answer questions about the evidentiary support for that belief. And part of being able to do that is to have a basic understanding of the historical underpinnings of the major events of the Bible. And surely the story of David and Goliath is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's very popular, it has been for decades, for centuries. Because of that, it's a story that we wanted to spend some time thinking about and discussing the historical background for it. Well, before we get into the serious stuff, let's start on a lighter note by using one of Crystal Sea's Life Lessons with a Laugh series on David and Goliath. Today, we're at the third of the series of five lessons. And, surprisingly enough, we're going to find out that the original reason David went down to the Valley of Ella was... A pizza delivery run. Pizza. A pizza delivery run. Pizza? In ancient Israel? Really? 
Oh, well, let's listen. Hi, I'm R.D. Fierro from Crystal Sea Books. Here today with that brilliant flash of fluorescent luminescence. Uh, Jerry. Right on, J-Light. Jerry. To me, you're the bright light that flings the night from the dawn you spawn. Hey, fellow Crystal Sea sailors. Today, J-Light and I are here to unfurl some more spinnakers of biblical truth. So let's uncoil some more lessons from the story of David and go kiss the grass. I think you mean Goliath. I'm sure that will work for the less imaginative. Look, there's a lot about the story most people either don't know or at least don't think about very much. But you do? Exactamundo, J-Light. Sometimes I have a slightly different perspective on things. (laughs) No doubt about that. For instance... Did you know that the whole reason David was down at the Valley of Elah and heard the humongous heifer harassing the Hebrew army was because David's father had sent him there on a pizza delivery run? Pizza ready! Elah Valley run again? Oh, and David's the guy that brings your pizza pie. There's a story. That Goliath would fall like a fat sausage ball for God's glory. So give thanks on your knees for the bread and the cheese from inventory. That God's willing to show and he wants us to know his amore. A pizza run? Dude. They didn't have pizza in Israel in those days. Uh, Well, J-Light, I'm not an expert on 11th century B.C. Hebrew Epicureanism and gastronomy, but hey, just about every culture around the world has thrown bread and cheese together at some point. And that's what the Bible says David's father sent to David's three oldest brothers who were hanging with the Hebrew army. Bread and cheese. Uh, Not sure about the tomato sauce. Oh, that's okay. Lots of people just like their pizza with cheese and garlic and maybe some spinach. Once again, Jay Light, your interest in all things culinary gives you superior insight into life and learning. I do like to keep up. With my meals, that is. Well, you'd think David's brothers would have been delighted to get their dad's care package and give David props for bringing it. But oh no. After David sees Gorgonzola breath clomping around... He casually asks if there's a reward for taking the big clown down for the count. I mean, the kid's just curious. And who wouldn't be? But his oldest brother, Eliab, jumps down his throat, like he had used his razor to trim the tails on a family of skunks. Ooh, that's the dangerous end of those varmints. Uh, true dat, J-Light. But let's leave that visual alone. David is just trying to scope out the situation before he makes his announcement that he'll take out Goliath since no one else will. Well, once Saul, who is the king, hears that David has more spine than a battalion of porcupines, he sends for David, and the two of them start parlaying over the best strategy to bring a foul in to the foul-breathed fellow from Gath. Well, it's likely then that David meets Jonathan, one of the king's sons. Maybe David and Jonathan found out they both like white pizza. Possibly, J-Light. Can't be sure about that. But we do know that David and Jonathan both have at least one thing in common. They both put their trust in the Lord. 
The Bible says that Jonathan and his armor bearer once took down over 20 Philistines by themselves after Jonathan was persuaded that the Lord wanted him to take the hill that the Philistines were guarding. Hmm, sounds like Jonathan was like David, always willing to go forward knowing that the Lord had their back. Well said, Jay Light. Jonathan and David were definitely cut from the same cloth, and it wasn't the kind that had to be washed with the delicates. I have ruined more than one pair of my own delicates on the wrong side. Uh, keep up, Jay Light. Oh, yeah, yeah. Focus. Anyway, the Bible says that after David defeated the smack-talking large barge, that David and Jonathan became true friends and brothers, a friendship that lasted the rest of their lives and was instrumental in David ultimately becoming king of Israel. Several times, Jonathan alerted David that Saul, who had turned against David out of jealousy, was coming for him, enabling David to escape. So Jonathan proved to be more of a brother to David than his biological sib, Eliab. It's called fellowship, Jay Light. Hanging with other people who read the Bible and are willing to pray regularly with you will encourage you to hold on to the good word in a bad world. Fellowship is one of the ways God helps his people fight the good fight when the odds look like they're on the wrong side of the valley. I got you, R.G. Uh, it's R.D. Sure, for the less imaginative. So David left home with bread and cheese and came home with a brother from another mother. Uh, right, J. Light. The Lord has a big family, and there's room in it for everyone, no matter what variety of pizza they prefer. I got it. You may like deep dish, but that doesn't mean you can't love someone who prefers thin and crispy. Again, Gerilicious, you have triple skipped a slick stone across that wide pond of biblical truth. The secret is to turn your head sideways, but not so far your brains fall out. Well, that's it from Jeremy. Oh, and it's still Jerry. Me, R.D., and the whole Crystal Sea rigging crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where... We're, we're not famous... But our boss is. Well, I might like to take a little issue with the characterization of David going to Ella on a pizza delivery run. But it certainly was a grocery run of sorts. Amazing to think that possibly the most famous duel of all time was started because David's father was just sending bread to his boys. And the impact of David obeying his father went far beyond just the death of Goliath. The Bible goes on to say that the Philistines were so demoralized that they turned tail and ran away. So David's victory over Goliath sparked a great victory for the entire Hebrew army. It helps remind us that sometimes God uses seemingly insignificant beginnings to accomplish great things. Well, there's an expression that says the devil's in the details, but it's actually God who is in the details. God can, and he often does, use ordinary people and seemingly ordinary events to accomplish extraordinary purposes. And that's one of the reasons it can be so important to our faith to study the Bible and to be faithful to the ordinary task that God calls us to every day. So let's move on to talking some more about the historicity of the story. Last time, we covered the fact that there is good support from archaeology and written records of the time that the main elements of the story's setting are true. During the late 11th century BC, the Philistines occupied a good bit of the Mediterranean coastline that was in the territory claimed by Israel, 
and that there were frequent clashes between the two sides. Historical records also confirm that the reason the conflict occurred at the Valley of Ella is because the valley was more or less on the boundary between the two nations. What do you have for us today? Well, today I'd like to take a closer look at the weapons and armor that the Bible says were used by Goliath. And let's see how remarkably extra-biblical sources confirm the details of the biblical account. In today's scripture reading, we see that the Bible actually goes into quite a bit of detail about Goliath's armor and his weapons. So I think it's kind of an interesting question to meditate on. Why would the human author have taken such pains to describe a seemingly mundane part of the story? Well, I think that part of the reason that the human author did that went into such detail about the armor and arms that Goliath was wielding was because it helped to emphasize the disparate nature of the two combatants. I mean, if they hadn't been so unequal, if Goliath hadn't been so much bigger and so much better equipped than David, if they hadn't been so unequal, well, today talking about David and Goliath wouldn't be such a proverbial way of talking about the little guys taking on the bad guys. Remind us, then, of what the Bible actually tells us about how Goliath was equipped for the fight. Well, the Bible says that Goliath had a bronze helmet and had a bronze coat of mail that weighed about 125 pounds. But importantly, the Bible also says that Goliath had a huge spear tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed about 15 pounds. So I'd like to focus on details for just a minute to gain a better appreciation of how even the minute details of Scripture have been confirmed in many instances. Oh, what do you have in mind? First, let's do a little review. In the last episode, we talked about the fact that the Philistines had arrived in the region of Palestine, probably by crossing the Mediterranean Sea as part of a confederacy of what the Egyptians termed the Sea People. So it's quite likely that when they came to Palestine, the Philistines brought with them the arms, the war traditions that would be found elsewhere within the Mediterranean region and probably from somewhere near the Aegean Sea. We know from records and pottery that are found within the Aegean region that the kind of arms and armament that Goliath was carrying match identically that that was known to be carried by other groups within that time period in the Aegean region. As a matter of fact, there's something called the Warrior's Vase, which is from the 12th century BC, and the Warrior's Vase is from Mycenae, and that Mycenaean Warrior's Vase shows that the Mycenaean warriors of that era were equipped almost identically to how Goliath was equipped. So we now know that the description of Goliath's armor is consistent with what we find from historical sources outside the Bible. But let's take a more detailed look at a couple of the specifics. Like, let's look at the weight of Goliath's coat of mail, which was said in the Bible to be about 125 pounds. Well, that does sound like a pretty heavy coat to be carrying around. Your description in the humor piece of Goliath carrying the weight of the world around on his shoulders sounds pretty accurate. Well, that does sound like a lot of weight for an individual soldier to be carrying. But consider this. I did a little research before we came on air today, and one of the articles that I looked at, which happened to come from the Modern War Institute, which is at my alma mater, West Point, one of the articles from the Modern War Institute says that some people think that today's American infantry has a weight problem. In particular, a retired Army colonel wrote an opinion piece for the Marine Corps Times in which she was very critical of the requirement that a Marine infantryman 
in today's Marine Corps that a Marine officer is expected to be able to carry a load of up to 152 pounds for more than 9 miles and do so at a 20-minute-per-mile pace. Wait, did I hear that correctly? Marine Corps infantry officers are supposed to be able to carry 152 pounds of gear for more than 9 miles at a a 20-minute-a-mile pace? Sounds like Goliath was lucky he wasn't facing a U.S. Marine. Well, a U.S. Marine or a West Point graduate. Anyway, that seems like an incredible amount of weight to be carried by an individual soldier. But in response to the article that the one retired Army officer wrote about how much weight and how unreasonable the standards were for requiring a Marine infantryman to carry that much weight, there was a rebuttal article that was written by a former Marine infantryman named Aaron Ferencek. And when he wrote the article, Aaron said that it was not only a realistic requirement, but that when he was in Afghanistan, he was regularly required to carry over 200 pounds of gear, armor, and weapons. So just the debate about how much current soldiers and Marines in today's military carry shows you that the observation that Goliath's coat of mail weighed 125 pounds was by no means unreasonable. I mean, I can promise you from my own time in the Army, that the average soldier in the Army or the Marines is not nine feet tall. So, again, to put that context of a 125-pound coat of mail, that sounds like a lot of weight, but it's not unreasonable. Well, here's another way to look at it. Today, a lot of times people use the BMI or body mass index to measure whether somebody is underweight, overweight, obese, whatever. Well, the upper BMI that's considered to be a healthy weight is about 25. So if you use Goliath's height of 9 feet, then at a BMI of about 25, Goliath would have weighed over 400 pounds. So whereas we're expecting U.S. Army infantrymen and Marines to be able to carry 150 to 200 pounds at an average weight of probably around 200 pounds, with Goliath weighing over 400 pounds, for Goliath, that coat of mail actually would have been considerably more manageable. I don't usually picture Goliath as having the physique of an Olympic athlete. I tend to see him more as a little on the heavy side, especially if he indulged in much bread and cheese. Well, as the Philistines' designated champion, I doubt that Goliath missed very many meals. Anyway, the basic point is this. A 125-pound coat of mail sounds like a lot when you just look at it in sort of the abstract. But in fact, in the context of Goliath's size, his weight, and the expectations that are put on American soldiers today, for a trained infantryman like Goliath, it would actually have been very manageable. Also remember that Goliath was very likely trained specifically to be a champion, someone who was going to be designated to fight these kinds of duels. So he would have probably put himself through the kind of physical development, the kind of training that our Olympic athletes do today. At a minimum, even if he wasn't trained to be specifically a champion, Goliath would have been what Homer called the first man, who was an infantryman designed to go into the front lines when opposing armies were facing each other. Well, as such, if you're on the front lines charging into an opposing line of infantry soldiers, the additional weight of the coat of mail would have actually added to the impact as he advanced into the opposing line of soldiers. 
And the fact that Goliath was either a champion or a first man explains the reason that the Bible noted that Goliath had on bronze leg armor. As Goliath approached an enemy soldier at nine feet tall, he's not going to be in very much danger from someone attacking him from above. The part of his body that would have been most exposed to attack or for assault by an enemy soldier would have been his legs. So he wore leg armor for precisely that reason, to protect his legs. And leg armor of the type that was worn by Goliath was used by Mycenaean warriors from the 13th century BC onward. And the leg armor that the soldiers wore is often seen depicted on their pottery. Bronze leggings have also been found in tombs in Cyprus. Goliath's status as either a champion or a first man also explains why his spearhead was so heavy. Goliath's spear wasn't primarily used for throwing. It was designed for jabbing and thrusting, for stabbing opposing infantrymen and knocking them out of the way. So a 15-pound spearhead, especially an iron spearhead, which is going to be harder than the wood or leather or light bronze that he would normally have encountered, an iron spearhead that heavy would have been very useful for battering opposing soldiers. It would be kind of like having Thor's hammer from Norse mythology. Or some current action movies? Hmm, would you say you studied at West Point again? Weapon systems engineering, though thankfully I didn't have to spend much time on spearheads or swords or coats of mail. You have also said that the biblical details of Goliath's arms and armor are supported by texts and reliefs in temples in Egypt, right? Absolutely. One of the most vivid depictions of the Philistine warriors in a combat situation is found in a mortuary temple at Medinet Habu in Thebes, Egypt. And the battle scenes that are depicted on the wall of this temple are some of the most detailed and graphic representations of what the Egyptians refer to as the Sea Peoples. So in that depiction on the wall in this temple in Egypt, you see the Sea Peoples' dress, weaponry, chariotry, even their naval equipment and battle tactics. So it's interesting to note that in that battle scene that's on this temple wall in Egypt, the Philistine infantry is shown as fighting in small phalanges of four men each. Three of the men in each phalange are armed with a long straight sword and a pair of spears, and the fourth is armed only with a sword. Now, notice that in this Egyptian wall depiction of the Sea People's battle formations and armament, notice that in this Egyptian drawing, the Philistine infantry are armed with a pair of spears. And that's exactly how Goliath is described to be equipped in the Bible story. The Bible is a little more precise because it notes that the second spear that Goliath was carrying was actually a bronze javelin, and the bronze javelin probably was more often used for throwing than the heavy spear that had an iron spearhead that Goliath used because, as we've noted earlier, that was more likely used for jabbing and thrusting and battering the opposing infantry. Also, it's important to note that Goliath's helmet and coat of mail are said to be made of bronze as was his javelin. Last time we talked about the fact that one reason the Philistines were so formidable was because they were the only ones in the area that had ironsmiths, which were skilled in making weapons and armor of iron, which was probably learned from the nation of Anatolia. Anatolia was an early center of development in the use of iron manufacturing. But even though the battle took place as the Iron Age was beginning, there would still have been a lot of bronze weapons and armor in use. Bronze had been in common use since about 3000 BC, 
whereas iron only began to come into common use around the 11th century, probably because bronze has a much lower melting point than iron, about 1,000 degrees Celsius. Iron's melting point is closer to 1,600 degrees Celsius. The Bible's description of Goliath's armor, especially of his coat of mail, is important for another reason. There are some scholars, critical scholars of the Bible today, who think that the account of the fight between David and Goliath is fictional. And sometimes it's alleged that the story was actually written somewhere around the 6th or 7th century B.C., as opposed to having been recorded contemporaneously in the 11th century B.C. The explanation that these scholars often give is that the Hebrews, who either were still in captivity in Babylon at the time, or who had just returned back to Israel after being released by Cyrus, that this account, the account of David and Goliath, was created fictionally in order to kind of bolster the confidence of the Israelites in their national heritage, uh, or to bolster, in effect, David's resume as being one of the foremost kings of Israel. So the assertion is that the account of the fight between David and Goliath is just sort of a fictional concoction. But if that were true, it is very unlikely that a returning or a captive Israelite would have been able to record that Goliath was wearing a chain coat of mail. Most of the time, in the era in which the fight occurred, the warriors that came out of the Mycenaean background were wrapped in wide bronze bands that were connected by hinges, and those bands of bronze, which constituted their armor, basically protected their bodies from the neck to the groin. Scale armor of the type that the Bible describes that Goliath had was thought to have gone out of use before the Mycenaean heyday, which was around 1400 B.C. So, scholars who were critical of the uh, account between David and Goliath would point to the fact that the biblical writers got the description of Goliath's coat of mail wrong. They would have claimed that that was an error in the biblical account. But in 2006, a coat of bronze-scale armor, almost identical to that which was described as being worn by Goliath, was actually discovered in a Mycenaean palace on the island of Salamis. A writer from the 6th or 7th century B.C. would have had no way of knowing of the armor that had been used earlier in the Mycenaeans' history. Most likely, if they were going to concoct the account, they would have concocted it using the type of armor which was more common for Philistine soldiers of the 11th century. So the discovery of this coat of mail, which precedes the date that the fight occurred in the Bible, shows that there were armor pieces of the type the Bible describes that were in use by soldiers of Mycenaean influence or Mycenaean heredity. You know, it's interesting to think how careful the Bible writers were to get things right. If they hadn't been, then we couldn't be nearly as confident that the faith we have is built on an absolutely sure foundation. For our prayer today, in recognition of the fact that we have many who don't share that foundation, let's listen to a prayer for restoration of a true and genuine worship. Prayer for Restoration of the Worship of the One True God Lord of Destiny, God of Holiness, You ordained the fate of men and nations before the cornerstone of creation was laid. You are blameless in all your acts and commands, and therefore what you ordain must come to pass. Who among men can resist your will? 
What you sovereignly declare will happen. We rejoice that our hope rests in the power and mercy of an almighty God and not in lesser beings. Lord, you know far better than we the blight that has come upon this nation. We have turned from honoring your name and seeking your will to self-exaltation and celebrating our rebellion. We cannot imagine how this must grieve you and give you justifiable cause for rebuke and reproof. We pray that you would raise up in our midst godly men and women who will be the leaders and teachers in a national renewal. We know that you have preserved a faithful remnant for yourself because you have assured us that the gates of hell could not prevail against your church. We praise you that Christ Jesus himself makes intercession for us while he sits at your right hand. We praise him and offer this and all prayers in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Next time on Anchored by Truth, we're going to continue with our study of the historical background of David and Goliath. We hope you'll be with us then. And we hope that you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where we're not famous, but our boss is.